Hi, I actually got another friend request from you, which I ignored, so you may want to check your account. Please do not accept any new friend requests from me at this time. How many of us, first off, you have to be on Facebook to know what I'm talking about, how many of us have received a message very similar to that or sent your pastor a message similar to that in the last couple of months or maybe you send it to a friend or something like that? Um, I've received that exact same message on Facebook, and I'm not condemning anyone for sending that to me. That's, that's just fine. No problem at all. But I've received that very same message countless times over the last probably three or four weeks. That people are, are copying and pasting that, because then it goes on to say, just copy this message and send it to everybody that you know and let them know that, so that their, their account will not be hacked. See, what, it, what this comes down to is identity theft. And that's a very real thing. I mean, this growing up in, in, in when I was small and growing up, when you were, many of you were younger growing up, identity theft was not as prevalent as it is today. But with the internet and with everything on computers and all of this digital data out there, people are stealing one another's identity, Right? You, I mean, you, you, some of you even have had your identity, you, you put it in that way, identity or credit card number stolen, you had to change your bank account. I could go on and on, but this message that we receive on Facebook comes because and people's profiles are being cloned. That's what they call it. They steal your profile picture, they use your very same name, they create a fake account with your name and your picture. Sometimes they even steal pictures of your family members and they put them on there so that, in case you don't know about this, so that then they can befriend all of your existing friends and they've built a trust, right? They've got, an, they've got an, in, an in with your friends and family members, and very soon they try to sell them something. Or they say, hey, I found this great way to invest. Why don't you give me all of your credit card information, and I can invest it for you. This has been a wonderful thing. It's changed my life. See, but the heart of this, and identity theft, the heart of this, the problem is that it can ruin someone's reputation. I, I have to tell you that if, I'm a, if you friend me on Facebook and then you try to steal all my money, it's going to ruin whatever reputation you have with me. It's going to tarnish your name, right? But we've all been in situations in our lives, maybe it's not on the computer, maybe it's not on Facebook, but we've been in situations where our reputations have been threatened or our good names have been tarnished because what somebody else said or what someone else did. Would you agree with that? It's a risk that we take every day. Today, I want to talk about someone in the Christmas story who had their reputation threatened. They had their good name tarnished by something that God did. So this morning, let's watch this short clip, and then we'll go to some scripture and hear what God's word says for us. 
I also think sometimes we forget that Mary and Joseph were ordinary, broken people, just as you and I are, valued in God's eyes, chosen by God to carry out a special mission, and yet still human beings with real feelings. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, if you would, this morning in your pew Bible or in your Bible, or if you're following along on the Bible app this morning, it is laid out there for you. Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 18 this morning. As we consider Joseph, let's enter into his life, let's enter into the first Christmas story this morning. Considering Joseph an honorable, devout upstanding man who had recently been engaged to be married. Some people say that your name is all you have. I think Joseph had made quite a name for himself in God's eyes, in his community. And then this happens. Matthew 18, or 1, verse 18 
It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. You see, friends, but Joseph did not understand that her pregnancy, that her child would come through the Holy Spirit, that she had conceived through the Holy Spirit. He was hurt. He was confused. Can you imagine some of the the emotions that Joseph was going through at this time in his life? Everything was set. His life, he was was considering what the future might hold for him and Mary. Maybe a small home. Maybe they'd have children right away. Maybe they'd wait, but they were going to submit to God's will. This was going to be their family. Just the two of them, at least for a season after they were married. And then Mary comes to Joseph one day and says, I'm pregnant. But it's not what you think, it's through the Holy Spirit. God has chosen me to be the vessel through which He brings the Messiah into the world. And through choosing me, Joseph, God has chosen you. Joseph, though, confused and hurt, as any of us would have been. Because Joseph, verse 19 Her husband was a righteous man. That means he was right in God's eyes. Because he was a righteous man and because he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now Joseph must have been a righteous man. He must have been a loving man. I like to think that I'm not a a hateful person, not a cruel person. I like to think that I love my wife, but I have to tell you that if she comes to me six months before our wedding date and says, I'm pregnant, I'm going to be outraged. And I'm going to talk to my family members. I'm going to talk to my friends. And I'm probably going to talk about this hurt that she has brought into my life. And how dare she do this to me? How dare she do this to us, But it says Joseph is a righteous man. He does not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. Why? Because he loves her and he cares about her. And although he doesn't understand, perhaps does not believe her story yet, he does not want to destroy her. See, when we hear these words, public disgrace, I think it's more than we truly understand. Here's the law. I just want to read you the law that Mary and Joseph were living under. The Jewish law. The Israel law. Or the law of Israel, rather. Deuteronomy 22 says this. If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both must die. It's that simple. That's the law. If a man meets a virgin that is pledged to be married in a town and sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the city gate, stone them to death. Wow. See, when we consider that, divorcing her quietly sounds much, much more righteous, doesn't it? It sounds much more loving 
So Joseph, a righteous man, had in mind to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You will give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this was the, prophet of, 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 or the prophecy of Isaiah 400 years before this, this visit to Joseph. This angel confirmed what Mary had already told Joseph. This angel confirmed what the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We read it last week. What that said, and that's all that it took to change Joseph's mind. That was it. He receives this, 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 this visit, this messenger of the Lord comes to him in a dream and says, yes, it's true, God has done this for you, but for the entire world. And Joseph gets up and says, well, that changes everything. Right? Verse 24, just a few more verses here. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And they gave him the name Jesus. Joseph loved Mary. We can clearly see that. Joseph loved Mary and that's why he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He was hurt. He was confused. He said, I cannot enter into a marriage with a woman that I do not trust so he said, I've got to separate myself from her and I've got to break off this engagement. But Joseph, we can clearly see as we read these verses, verses 18 through 25, that Joseph loved God more. That, God, that, that Joseph said, whatever God's will is, although it disrupts my life, although it turns everything upside down, although it changes what I picture for the future, I'm going to stick with this because God has chosen us. God has chosen to use me. Last week as we kicked off this series the cost of Christmas. I told you we're going to ask as we look at the various people who were a part of, the various individuals who are a part of the very first Christmas, what did Christmas cost them? See, I think Christmas cost Joseph an awful lot. But more than anything else, I think Christmas cost Joseph his reputation. It cost him his good name within the community, perhaps within his, his circle of friends and his family members coming to him. I believe above all else, Christmas cost Joseph his reputation. I mean, think about Joseph. It says he's an upright, righteous man, and then his fiancée's pregnant. People see him walking around with now his pregnant fiance. Very soon they're married, but they know that this child is not his. 
That's what he says, at least. Either this child is not his, or he's making up a story to make himself look good. But Mary confirms this is not Joseph's child. I mean, we watch this, this video, social media Christmas, as if Facebook were around 2,000 plus years ago. Think about the Christmas story. Joseph even forgot to make reservations at an inn, right? It's a joke, but anyway. How many of us, though, I wonder, are willing to put our reputation on the line for Christ? How many of us are willing to risk our reputation in the name of Jesus? See, that's the call that we have as believers, as those who bear the name of Christ, is to put our reputation regularly on the line, to risk it daily. If that's the, 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 the challenge before us, that's what God says. Expect it. Be prepared for it. To speak the name of Christ boldly in our conversations. Can we do that? To go out of our way to ask someone about their faith. To seek an opportunity to share our testimony. To ask someone if we can pray for them or even with them. To invite a family member or a friend to join us for church. It's interesting, I was having a conversation uh, late last night with our, our oldest daughter, Addison, about risking our reputation. It just came up. I didn't bring it up to practice my sermon, but I said, hey, this is a good opportunity, right? And we were talking about how sometimes it, it seems so difficult to put it out there, even to speak the name of Jesus among certain circles of people. She was talking to me about how sometimes it's difficult at school or it's difficult with her friends to, to share the name of Jesus because they reject it and say, I don't want to hear that. You know how I feel about the name of Jesus, right? See, and what I explained to her was, you know what, the, the interesting thing is sometimes for us adults, it's still difficult. Can I get an amen to that? I don't know why that is. I said uh, to, to her, I shared, I'll share with you because I've got your, your captive attention now. So I said to her, when I first met your mom in college, right? I had received a call to ministry many years before. I was uh, leading one of the Christian organizations on campus. And she asked me, after I knew her for two days, she said, what about you? Do you go to church anywhere? Flat out, without hesitation, I said no. I didn't want to lose her. I didn't know what she, how she was going to react. I mean, she might just walk out the door. Oh no, here's a, here's a religious person. I don't, I don't think so. So she said, do you go to church anywhere? And I probably, I, I did. I considered it for about half a second. Well, I technically, I haven't found a church in my college community yet. So do I go regularly to church? No, I don't go. No, I don't go to church. She said, Dad, Addison, last night I told her that and she'd never heard that before. She said, Dad, yeah, I know. It's horrible, isn't it? It's horrible, isn't it? 
I said, but, but still today, there are many adults, even within the church, that we have trouble telling people, I go to church. You should meet my best friend, Jesus. I've been baptized in his name. I bear his name daily. He saved me from the penalty of my sin. One day, I'm looking forward to living with him forever. See, and why wouldn't we talk about Jesus more? We sit here in a room every week, most of us, and we say, I want to live with him forever. I told Addison, I said, but the enemy puts that fear in our heart. And we, we, it, it, it paralyzes us. We think that something tragic is going to happen if I ask someone, hey, you know what, you should come to church with me. Hey, you should, more importantly, and I say, if you don't want to invite somebody to church, maybe it's the preaching, maybe, I don't know, but if you don't want to invite somebody to church, at least invite them to know your Savior. And I, I'm going to say this, and I risk, I'm going to put some, 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 risk some things whenever I say this next thing, but I would say, if your church is not a place that you feel comfortable inviting your friends and family members, you should probably find a different place to worship. Because... The, 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 the church, the, the community of believers, see, it's scriptural. If you read it, Hebrews 10 talks about how, how it's scriptural that we should be a community of believers coming together regularly to worship the God that has saved us from everything, the curse of humanity. But not only should the church be a community of encouragement, the church should be somewhere where we grow more and more like Jesus Christ. Where we can fall an environment that allows us to fall more in love with our Savior, the one that we will spend, hopefully, prayerfully, all of eternity with. Amen? So if the church is not somewhere that you can invite family members or friends, at the very least, talk about Jesus. Okay? Can you do that? I'm going to pick my paper up. But I say the enemy puts that fear in our minds and it paralyzes us. I don't even know where I'm at now. Oh, it's this. It's this, this, this conviction. Jesus said these words. You ready? Hold on to your pew. This is, I mean, this is good. This is good stuff. I'm going to read two different versions. First, the NIV, Matthew 10, 32. It says, everyone, Jesus said this, okay? So these are not my words. These are Jesus' words. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want him. How many of us want Jesus to acknowledge us? When we come walking through the gates of heaven, he says, Adam, I'm so glad you're here. Carol, I'm so glad you're here. Come on in. I mean, I like to be greeted that way when I walk into my home. I like to be greeted that way when I walk into the church and have people stop and turn. But can you imagine the Savior of the world standing at the, at the gates of heaven saying, come on in, I've been waiting for you. I've got this place prepared for you. I know you by name. I've been watching over you. Jesus said here, Everyone who acknowledges me before their brother, before men and women here on earth, I will acknowledge them in heaven. But everyone, and here's the flip side, who denies me here on earth, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Ouch. I never knew you. I don't have a place for you. I didn't 
I'm not waiting for your arrival, but instead, you're going to have to go. Eugene Peterson put it this way in, in the message version. He says, stand up for me in this world, and I will stand up before you, I will stand up before you, before my Father in heaven. But if you turn your back on me here on earth, I'll turn my back and walk away from you when you show up in heaven. See, as we talk about risking our reputation, putting our name on the line, it's not our name anyway, is it? I mean, my sole purpose, your sole purpose is to glorify God. That's it. Your sole purpose, if you are a believer, if you walk in the name of Christ, your sole purpose is to point people to Jesus, to introduce Him to everyone that you encounter, sometimes through words, but more often through the way we live our life. And if someone asks you, do you go to church, our answer should be a resounding yes. Yes. Yes, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. Right? But so often that question paralyzes, do you go to church? Well, sometimes, right? Bring up the name of Jesus to a stranger? Uh, I don't know about that. Back to this conversation I had last night with, uh, with our daughter, I said, when you were baptized, that's the agreement you walked into. Is from this day forward, everybody will know that I am a Christian. From this day forward, everyone will know that I'm living my life committed and faithful to the one that gave everything for me. It shouldn't be a, a, a question of, I, I'm afraid somebody might ask me about Jesus and I don't have my testimony prepared yet. It shouldn't be a question of, I'm afraid someone might ask me about my church and I don't even know how, how I would invite them to church, right? Instead, it should be our mission when we walk out of our door every morning or every afternoon or whenever, is I can't wait for Jesus to put me into contact that I, with someone that I can tell about Him today. See, as a church, we want to give you tools. We want, to, we want to help you in these conversations. And so any way we can do that, I'm not going to do that today. That's going to take a whole, long, much longer time. But there's different strategies. There's different tools that we can use to share the gospel message, to share our testimony. But even when it's not polished, I think of the disciples, Jesus did not call polished people to share the gospel message and to spread the, the, the faith of Jesus around the world. No, instead, He said, I'm going to pour into you and then I'm going to leave you and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to live and to act in you and to give you the power. And in fact, what Jesus says was, don't worry about the words that you will speak. I will give you the words to speak. He said, just be prepared. Be ready to lay everything out on the line. Even if it comes down to your life, be ready to lay it out there. Because I want to use you. That's why you're alive today. God wants to use us. He says, throw, throw the rest out. 
might not be a polished testimony. You might not have a, a strategy to invite somebody to church. But if Jesus truly is your greatest friend, if Jesus is who you are preparing to spend eternity with, shouldn't you be in love with him enough to tell everybody that you meet about him? Why are we afraid? Why is the church afraid to talk about Jesus? Why is it that people cower when they hear, I don't want to hear about faith. I don't want to hear about religion. You know what? I don't want to hear about religion either, but I do want to hear about Jesus. And I do want to hear what Jesus is doing in the lives of those that, that are committed to Him. I want to hear about these great miracles and how it has transformed your life. How it's transformed the lives of so many others and how thou, now they live with a joy that is unquestionable, one that is unthinkable, one that cannot be explained. I want to hear those stories even if I don't want to hear about your religion. Again, I lost my place. Stand up for Jesus. That's the bottom line. Jesus, I mean, oh, I'm going I'm to try to come back now. Okay, you ready? Okay, here's, here's the sermon. Here we go. Numerous accounts are written about Jesus laying down his reputation so that others could see God's glory through him. I mean, think about it. Jesus was laughed at. He was spit on. He was rejected by everyone, including his 12 disciples. They walked away from him. They denied him. And yet he still gave up his life for you and for me while hanging on a Roman cross with a crown of thorns being pressed into his brow. While, while the Roman soldiers gambled for his clothes, the very clothes off his back, and taunted him from the ground, he gave up everything. So the question then is, are we willing to risk our reputation to put our name out there for the one who gave up everything for us? Will you acknowledge Jesus? Will you stand up for Jesus? Will you share the news about Jesus? Will you invite others to meet Jesus? Because that's the call. So our challenge this next week. And I told you, if you show up through the Christmas season, you're going to get a challenge each week. Our challenge last week was to do something with our hands, to take a physical act uh, towards someone to share the love of Jesus, to show an act of kindness, maybe even to someone that we've never met before. This week, our challenge is to risk our reputation for Christ's sake. Risk our reputation for Christ's sake. And if you are willing to do that, I'm going to ask you this morning to stand up as a sign that says, yes, I am willing this next week to put everything on the line. If that's what God calls me to, I'm willing to risk my reputation. So our challenge this morning, praise the Lord, is to stand for Jesus. See, I closed this conversation with my daughter last night and said, Jesus is looking for a generation of people that are willing to risk everything to proclaim Jesus. And if we don't do it, friends, 
if we don't do it, we're hopeless. The church is hopeless. And if you, you got to... Re- you got to realize some of the battles that our children and our teens and our young adults are facing this, this right now. Jesus, I pray for your church. I pray for all of us here today, God. I pray for those, Lord, that will read the gospel of Jesus this Christmas season or hear it spoken, hear it read, seen it lived out. Jesus, I pray, God, that you would do a miraculous work through your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Do a miraculous transformation in our lives, God, that we are willing, God, to take some risks for you, to lay our lives, to put our names out there, Jesus, to offer you, God, this is our act of of offering our sacrifice to you this Christmas. Jesus, stir in our hearts as we boldly proclaim what we believe. In Jesus' name, amen.